Listen to ordinary people who lead extraordinary lives. Their leadership style is forever impressed in the hearts and minds of people, be it in their professions, personal life, and or in communities by being an example of greatness. Be inspired by these personal stories and prepare to be both moved and motivated as serial entrepreneur Maurice Manley II interviews present and future icons. Challenge yourself to recognize the leader that lives within so that you may continue to grow and experience amazing things in life. We are all capable of leadership. Take charge and lead up. You are listening to episode number 80, The Baby Bird Theory. A Muay Thai trainer as well as an intellectual, Joseph Okoroji is an observer of people, which allows him to understand individuals at their specific frequency. Having been born and raised in the UK, Joseph found himself in search of something greater than himself. Moving to Los Angeles, California proved to be the landing pad that would allow for the necessary expansion. You may want to take notes as we explore the impact discipline has on certainty, the concept of proper celebration, and much more. Without further delay, Joseph Okorji. Welcome back to another episode of Lead Up. Today joining me is a very good friend of mine, Joseph Okorogi. How's everybody doing? What's going on, my man? Nothing much, man. Just enjoying the sunshine. I, man, you're always enjoying the sunshine. <laughs> From the day I met you, you came out. <laughs> to enjoy the sunshine. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. In, in fact, you're not even a native to uh, America. You're, you're from the UK, London. Yep. So I'm used to gray skies no palm trees and people don't smile at each other so coming out here is, <laughs> is a culture shock to say the least yeah you really needed sunshine mm -hmm. how long you been here now it will be six years in december wow and, and how you like it so far it's been a ride <laughs> it's been a ride like you know you see the change in tide from let's say the Obama years to the Trump years. So watching things twist and turn has been a ride to say mm. the least. Okay. But so far I've been enjoying it. Yeah. I've definitely been enjoying it. What, what has been the, I guess let's say the greatest mental adjustment that you had to do. Um, there's, there's a couple. There's a couple getting used to consumerism being a really big thing. Like something, something, anything and everything is always for sale here. And it's not like that in London? No, it's more subtle. Whereas here, your, your health, your education, anything that's an inconvenience mm -hmm. is up for sale and it will cost you, but it's still for sale. The problem comes is when you can't afford it then it becomes a bigger issue. Um, 
celebrities are looked at here like gods for lack of a word like True. they don't yeah. shit on the same toilets you do and eat your same food um activism out here is it's it's a thing it's like a really big thing which i'm happy to be a part of and mm-hmm. witness and everything else um what else sports is definitely a big i didn't realize how big sports was as a concept until i came out here really? like i came here 2014 i've been here a couple of times i came in 2009 2010 and stayed in 2014 and i saw both laker day parades okay and to see that a massive like the whole city shut down there was yellow sorry gold and purple i know right <laughs> yeah don't mess that but like you know seeing people in the outfits and the clothing and the the atmosphere was electric there is nothing like it so i get because from the outside looking in we're just like they're, they're just dribbling a ball and right right they're just throwing a ball it's like what's the big the deal right but then you come here and you experience it and you see it and you understand it does that make sense yeah like, we always come looking at americans with a point of view where it's just like oh they're just and then you live here long enough and you might not be as enthusiastic as they are but you understand why that, that makes sense um there was a there was a story you you, you share with me early on and i don't want to mess it up but i'm gonna try to I think I know the story you're going for, <laughs> but, but humor me. Oh. Yeah, yeah, paraphrase it and uh-huh. maybe give you some tidbits to spark the memory or okay. let me know if I am messed it all up. You came out and I think you were with a friend or two mm-hmm. and you were in some, to you at the time, it was a strange neighborhood. Okay. <laughs> or maybe yeah. you were at the beach or something. Yep. Okay. <laughs> and so, you had on you had on some colors. Oh, okay. <laughs> Right. So briefly, just share so, that story because I well, thought it was pretty funny at the time. The name I earned for OG Cornbread. Um, <laughs> so um, this was our first time. It was me, my cousin, and two of my close friends at the time. And, you know, this is our first trip that we, we were 19. This is our first trip where it was just us. We went to America. There were no parents. We had all our money. Everything uh-huh. was great. So we'd probably been in the States. We came, I think, end of June. And now July 4th came. Again, completely new to the landscape. We'd only ever heard about it. Only ever heard about certain areas and neighborhoods and songs. We hadn't physically been there. Mm-hmm. So July 4th, we run into this random guy who now we realized was was, cra- was making a joke. But at the time, we didn't see it that way. He said, it's July 4th, guys. If you wear either red, white, or blue... On this day, you'll get some discounts in stores. <laughs> Anytime I mention this to an American, they laugh their heads off. So you have to bear in mind, from our point of view, that doesn't seem so far out of the ordinary. That yeah. just that just sounds like right, an American right. deal, you know, patriot, like, you know, patriotism, red, white, and blue. Give you a five, ten dollar discount. Cool. Let's we're do it. Why America, not? We're in America. What? <laughs> We're 19. This is in between me in university. So I'm like, yeah. oh, what? More stories to tell. So I decide this this is when LRG was kind of like a yeah. thing. So I wore a black LRG t-shirt, which was bandana patterned. 
(laughs) (laughs) And I'm not really someone, I don't really wear blue. Like I might wear blue jeans, but that's about it. So LRG t-shirt, red dicky shorts. (laughs) (laughs) Bandana shirt, red Red dicky shorts. Checkered dicky belt. Checker, what color? Red and black. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Keep going. Uh-huh. White socks pulled up to just below the knee. Red chucks. All red chucks. All red chucks, red laces. <laughs> At the time, I used to have braids, and I just got my hair braided in Compton. Uh-huh. So I got my hair braided, and still 19, still childlike yep, yep. so i had bands like rubber bands on the edge of these uh, braids. Uh, the bar- <laughs> guess what color they were red mm-hmm. mm. and i still had there's a dicky backpack i don't know if they still make them anymore but it was like matching the belt <laughs> Wait, the backpack was matching the belt right so the backpack was black and red yes. checkered mm-hmm. correct Oof. correct so Dressing the way we were dressing, all of us had like similar kind of yeah. outfits and stuff. But for the most part, it was either red dicky shorts or black dicky shorts. Yeah. It was either red chucks or black and white chucks. Okay. So there was a theme essentially mm-hmm. in, in the outfits. So now we think, okay, fuck it. So I'm allowed to curse. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay. So we think, all right, cool. Let's go to Venice Beach because I heard it pops off in Venice Beach. And, you know, like these are good. These are good places that if we go back home, we can be like, we went to Venice Beach. No right, one knows about right. Torrance because you don't No one, no one raps and mentions mm-hmm. Torrance or mentions the Lamo or anything. Else. So it's not places you know about, but everybody knows about Venice Beach. Let's go to Venice Beach. We rent bikes. Guess what color the bikes were? Red. All right. So now we're whipping and, you know, doing, because we grew up on that stuff. Like, it's not fun just bike riding. You have to whiz through yeah. traffic. Yeah, you got to have some style. Yeah, yeah. you, you got to put some stink on it. It's got it's to always be that way, right? So we do that. And then one of my boys goes, hey, um, you notice that that police officer's kind of like nearby? And what can only be described as a Terry Crews lookalike cop in like a really tiny outfit and little short shorts, <laughs> which I didn't understand then either. But after a while, it became like a little chase because he now had four other guys on bikes. Mm. And we were on bikes and we were just kind of whizzing around. And then eventually it got to a point where a cop car pulled up in front of us and kind of blocked us in. And they were like, oh, what neighborhood are you representing? Blah, blah, blah. And we're looking at them like, what do you, it's like, this is a super cop. I don't get. Right. What do you, like, first of all, police aren't built like this where I'm from. Like, he, he looks huge. So we're like, no, we're, we're tourists. We're from London. He's like, no, you're not. I said, uh, I figured this accent was good enough. Like, I'm not going to pull out my passport to show you because the last time I pulled out my passport to show an officer over here in that same trip, like, I was pulled out at gunpoint. So I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that twice. That would be stupid on my behalf. 
So after 15, 20 minutes of convincing them that we're not from Compton or Inglewood or what's or Long Beach, they were like, okay, just be careful when you come back here. So they finally let us go. We drive off again. This time, it's it's not police that stop us. <laughs> <laughs> this time, it's not police that stop us. This time, I heard, hey, homie, where you guys from? I said, I knew this one was coming. Yeah. <laughs> this one was definitely coming. So we explained to them, and they just said, oh, good looking out. Like, it's good to see that there are black people in London, because I didn't realize that you guys don't see that. Right. Apart from Idris Elba and Estelle, there's no one else that's black over there. So he was explaining to us that, you know, once it gets dark, Sometimes it's fireworks. Sometimes it's not. Yeah. So don't be here when that happens. I said, oh, okay, cool. Handshakes and kept it moving. And that was the weirdest July 4th I've ever had. <laughs> and he gave you the nickname. Uh, Cornbread. Corn- <laughs> we won't go into that. But yeah, we'll, yeah. Let, we'll let that one. Mm-hmm. So what was your dream, uh, your personal dream prior to moving here? In general or which fueled me coming here. Give me both. So but give me more of what fueled you coming here. So I was, I'm not going to say I was always taught because that would be a lie, but whenever you stay in the city that you're in or the city that you're from and considering that how London is, it's almost kind of like here where if you're from Hackney, you kind of stay in, you stay in Hackney. If you're from this area, you stay in this area and so on and so forth. So if you're in, from Inglewood, you tend to stay within the confines of Inglewood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And unless you have work in another city, you wouldn't necessarily venture out like that. So that's kind of how the city is. And I realized that it, it it's, stag- it's so stagnant. Does that make sense? Like you don't mm-hmm. stretch yourself. So if you don't stretch yourself, you don't know new parts to you and what you are as a person, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, cause I, when I came out here at 19, I ran into a kid who was my age, who used to run, you know, at the Pike, they used to be like an arcade. Yeah, yeah. So we was chopping it up from him for a while. And he was like, well, you know, I've got my own apartment, I'm the manager here. I have my own car, you know, like, I speak Spanish because, you know, wow. you know what I mean? Like, and I'm looking at him and without, you know, trying to sound arrogant, I'm like, I'm, I'm smarter than you are, but you have everything. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You have it. You're not even 20 yet. You can't even like, we had to go on public transport, which was going to bring me to the other story. Mm-hmm. Well, so because we, none of us were old enough to rent a car yet. Okay. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, he's just like, oh, I've got the game figured out. And then when you go back to London, you're like, that capitalism that I, I made fun of earlier is the reason that a lot of people will make strides to, to get things done. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I wanted that. Mm. I aspired to that. And if I stayed in the UK, I don't think I would have like nurtured that part in me because everyone here is chasing it. Like in Los Angeles, like everyone's a screenwriter or a scriptwriter or, or a model or an aspiring musician or poetry nights or blah, blah, blah. Right, or, right. You know, entrepreneur this, I'm selling clothes. I'm, there's always someone selling something, which as much as you want to make fun of, that's still, that's still plausible. Like, yeah. You know, it's a lot of ambition. Right. So th- the logic is simple. If you want to be ambitious, you move to fertile soil. 
Okay. And and there is no place that pushes entrepreneurship more than the states. I just happen to like California because it's the exact opposite of what I grew up around. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's weird when you grow up in a city where it rains most of the time. I'm sure. Seems like, like it would be a little depressing. So I ran the statistics because apparently I'm a, I'm a nerd now and I've lived here as long as I've lived. <laughs> um, the closest state in the United States that has the UK's rain or weather pattern is Seattle. Yeah. And I heard the depression rate in Seattle or suicide rate is exceptionally high. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. So you imagine all the ad- ideals of the American dream but with gray skies and clouds and moody behavior. And it's not. Yeah. Those two don't go together. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like there are people out here that are broke, but because they are broke, but they see there's a clear sky, there's something to shoot for. Right. That's true. Yeah. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so was, was the dream just to attain a higher position in life or was it something a little more specific? Um, To build, to build something. To build something or be a part of something bigger than myself. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The whole concept of the collective conscious out here is really big. Okay. And I wanted to experience that. Like when I first got out here, both when I visited and when I stayed out here, I found it so weird and profound that even though there were people that didn't know each other, it would be like a good morning or a. Mm-hmm. Which, for a while, wasn't even used to. It didn't make sense to me. Interesting. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's an inviting and warm feeling. Yeah. Yeah. What are, what are some of the cultural beliefs or perspectives that you had prior to moving here that changed? Um, someone's asked me something similar to that, and I'll give the analogy of the Black Panther, the movie. Okay. Whereas the old school where it's just like, oh, Americans aren't this and Americans are this and Americans are that. Mm-hmm. But what people, for those that don't live here, they don't understand that it's, it's by design. Does that make sense? Like you will have British Black people say that American black people are too sensitive or they're quick to jump when they see like something happen here. Like, mm. like, you know, the biggest monkey, is it the monkey in the jungle? Like when they had the kid wearing the t-shirt. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas in the UK, I think it was even shot in the UK. The UK black people were just like, Oh, you know, it's, it's not a big deal. Like there are bigger things to worry about. Whereas mm. over here, it was something that, that popped off. So they looked at us as being more sensitive or overly sensitive. But the thing is what happens here that doesn't happen there is that there are minuscule or small injustices that happen on a regular basis and pushed out constantly shown. So even if you did have my temperament, for example, if you saw, I don't know, two rape cases in the same city, performed by one black guy, one white guy to the same type of woman, but the white boy got six months and the black guy got life. You start to go, where's the injustice? Right. You start to see like your politicians, your whoever, when you see them in college in blackface, 
you start to question. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's these little constant microaggressions. It's, I don't know, seeing Sprite make commercials for black people. Yeah. Or, do you know what I mean? Or, like, yeah. when you when you look at this, it's like the little things right. keep building and up. You and you keep prodding and you keep pushing and you mm-hmm. keep prodding. Or, like, you'll have your news anchors say the Los Angeles Nakers and it'll sound like niggas. And then they'll be like, well, that's not what we said. And everyone else will be looking like, Right. We know that's what you meant. So because in the UK, they don't fight those small fights, it just continues to go and it gets bigger. But by that time, there's really not much they can say or do because they've let so many little things slip through the cracks. So in the UK, it will be the small things will kind of shrug it off and keep it moving. And then there'll be certain things that don't fly. And because it doesn't fly, there'll be a right. Like what happened when um, it was a guy from Tottenham that was killed by the police. Mm-hmm. And of course, the media tried to make it sound like he was something when he wasn't. But because he was part of the community, we knew who he was. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? So that resulted in looting and, you know, like riots throughout. That's when the London riots happened. Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? So that's where we'll draw the line. The problem is out here is that so many things happen at once all the time. Like it's almost like having PTSD or having like third degree burns where now because of your initial thing, you're sensitive to the touch. So anything can set you mm. off now. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, you know, complaining that, you know, black people don't have their own seat at the table. Right. So then you're in, then black people encourage other black people to now shop black. Okay. And then you'll hear other races say, well, that's racist. We don't, we don't <laughs> say that. Our, do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. what do you want? Yeah. And it becomes, it's, it's such a toxic place. It really is. Such a toxic place. I mean, I think place. we're all the, globally, we're just in a toxic, toxic it's state so, of mind. And, and it's unfortunate. It's so tough. Like it's it's yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? so I'm gonna pivot a little bit. Now you're a fighter, a trained fighter, mm-hmm. and a trainer mm-hmm. in Muay Thai. Mm-hmm. Uh what and, and you started this this discipline at the age of eighteen. Yep. So what inspired slash motivated or what even what got you into that Um, and 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 specifically Muay Thai so what got me into it was the fact that I was a bit chubby and I'd done martial arts in the past maybe like two or three sessions of karate or kung fu or whatever and I got kicked in the nuts, so I just kind of looked wild <laughs> on the person. So I won the fight, but it, I just looked wild. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, my mother stopped paying for any of those because there's no point in you doing it if you're not going to be disciplined. Right. So when I moved out and, you know, I was living on my own, like 17, 18-ish, I was looking... You're still in the UK? Yeah. Okay. I was looking for an art that was as lethal as it was spiritual. So there was a balance. Hold on. Wait, no, I get that. Mm-hmm. But I need to back up because you were 17 or 18. Yeah. 
and you already thinking about spirit spirituality. Yeah, you know, I, why? Because there has to be a balance. But whoa, whoa, no. <laughs> there has to be a balance. I, I I understand that and comprehend that from my my current uh place or disposition in life from my current vision, but looking through my eighteen year old eyes or seventeen year old eyes, I'm not necessarily thinking about there has to be spirituality. So let's go back. Okay. That point of reference, and I'm not knocking it because I think it's highly evolved and it and it's uh you were extremely connected at that to, to have that type of insight foresight the irony that i was a i was a hardcore atheist then as well but oh so now that just adds a whole <laughs> so how, how do you how did you rather say i need something that has this spiritual substance because without it it's just brutality but how did you know i didn't it was just I mean, was that something that you what you just felt in your yeah. in your gut? It was something innate. It was something innate, but I was able to better vocalize it as an adult, if that makes sense. Okay. So that yearning wasn't something I spoke of. I just wanted something that you know, one kind of looked cool. Mm-hmm. Two that was vicious enough. Because okay. if you see it, it especially how it's applied, it can be very vicious. But there is also balance to it okay like the teachers i had were very good and one of them kind of specified that if you're going to learn how to destroy yourself to learn how to build otherwise there's going to be nothing left Mm -hmm. do you see what i'm saying so that spirituality might be you know being humbled and trust me i was humbled a lot (laughs) because young right talk your shit and then you know you go back it up. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes you come back it up. <laughs> <laughs> but now, so would you label yourself as a fighter? No. No. What, what, what label, if you had to, what would you give yourself? Just someone who's trying to be well-rounded. And so that that's applicable to the art form as well as your day to day. That's that's but that's what you're trying to be because you can't just be a fighter. Cuz mm. by default if you're just a fighter, you wake up and fight. There is nothing else to you. Great point. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like your aim is to be well-rounded. Someone that can defend yourself or friends and family if you need to. Mm-hmm. You can defend your points of reference and arguments and debates and your thoughts and feelings. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, Defend your yeah. standpoint when it comes to business and philosophy and everything else. That's what you're looking to do. And your approach might be more aggressive. So you might be someone who attacks a point rather than just, you know, passively lets it. Right. Okay. And, and that's it. That's, that's what you're trying to do. And luckily through fighting, there's a level of discipline that came with that mm-hmm. because it is not some, because I've started teaching you. Right. right. I don't know if you wanted the. No, no, it's cool. So essentially, you learn all of the moves you need to learn in your first two, three sessions. Yeah. You learn how to punch, learn how to kick, elbow, knee, blah, blah, blah. What takes time is application mm-hmm. and the understanding of the application, why you need to do it, how you need to do it, at what speed, what angle. That comes with time. Okay. 
You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But if you're looking at face value, me and you know the same punches and kicks. Yeah. But it's your discipline that allows you to look at it from multiple angles. True. And that's why. And and it's very um closely related slash or resembled to life. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, life, business, relationships. Hundred percent. Because there are so many different angles and variables, but yet it's all the same mm-hmm. stuff, right? Nothing changes. Yeah. So just like your jab is my jab, but how you apply that jab is what makes the difference. Correct. And when you apply that jab. Yeah. I'd go as far as saying I'm my coaches are gonna say, I knew it, but if I never took up the moniker and started doing the martial arts thing, I don't think I would have had the balls to move out here in the first place. Mm. Because I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any really any money. Right. So that leads me into the next question is how has. Other than, like you said, having the balls of the courage, how has self-defense, the self-defense discipline impacted your sense of certainty? It's a different kind of feeling. And it's weird because people can feel it when you walk into a room. I remember you telling me that. So elaborate on that a little. It's the I'm not going to use I'm, I'm going to use Mike Tyson as a reference. OK, but, you know, it doesn't apply to me because that's Mike Tyson. But. If my, regardless of when he was doing um, the hangover or whatever, that was still Mike Tyson. Sure. When he walked into the room, even though, you know, he's not going to hit you for no reason. You were you were very aware that he was there. But okay, so we were those of us looking at that screen, we are aware because we know and understand who he is and what he has done. So we have a historical reference. But if nobody has ever met you personally, Joseph, Mm -hmm. and you walk into a room, you go to a party or an event. You see people for the first time. They're seeing you for the first time. It's a silent confidence. Okay. That's the best way to describe it. It's a silent confidence. It's someone looking at you and noticing that there are very few things that bother you. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Very few things that get you agitated. Very Because you're used to doing this many rounds. You're used to getting hit. You're used to overcoming adversity at every step in mm. your training. So then you going to a bar or you hanging out that doesn't have the same kind of angst that it would have had because you're used to doing worse or you're used to doing more. So it changes your outlook on everything. I call it a battle tested. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm not a shiny, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm not shiny, but I've lost it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the same even in, um, or well, everything like business, mm-hmm. you know, when you, when you've gone through a lot, when you've lost money, when you have, um, had extreme levels or high levels of triumph. Yeah. And then when you had the lowest level of the lows and it changes, it changes the whole way you conduct. Yourself. Right. Right. You're less fearful because you've lost everything before. Mm-hmm. So you don't hold value to the, those items the same way anymore. Correct. But when you do have them in your possession, you do value them because you know what it's like to go with much higher appreciation. Yeah. On a scale of one to 10, what's the level of difficulty when teaching people this art form? That varies. 
from person to person. I found that it's a lot easier to teach people who either have a, a history in athletics or whatever. The, but it's easy if you don't speak to them in terms of punches and kicks and elbows. If you speak to them in terms of beats and tones and frequencies, mm. it makes it extremely easy. How do you speak to someone in frequency? You speak to them in a language that they understand. Everyone has a channel or frequency, something that they're more receptive to. Agreed. Like I have a, I have a client or a student who is a drummer. Okay. So the way I might teach him a combination would be based around like the 16B or the 24B. Mm. So I might hold like a staff and bang on the floor. And his aim, because he's used to fitting in a pocket musically, mm-hmm. your aim is to fit into that pocket when applying Mm. your punches your kicks your elbows your knees it makes it easier for him to understand i have someone who's in engineering and everything else and computers so you explain it like applying malware to a to a computer or viruses or blah 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 and hacking and it makes it because now you're not speaking your language you're speaking his correct but you know what and as i'm listening to you describe that that's so expansive because that opens your mind up because now you have to know you have to be bilingual. You have to be versed in all of these different uh, careers, uh, art forms, knowledge, your, your level of awareness. And you have to study. Yeah. You have to study your people and you have to study what they study or at least Hmm. have a basic understanding of it. Because if you don't, there is no difference between you speaking English and they speaking Chinese to you. That's Correct. how far the language barrier will be. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious, what's, what's my frequency? You like minute, tiny, almost insignificant details that people overlook. Mm. You would like to understand that the punch is like this, but up at this part and adjusted at this angle and rotating. Does the rotation go up and down? Does it go straight through? Does it go down and up? Because you're a very details-based individual. You like seeing outcomes, multiple outcomes. Does this go this way? Does this go this way? Then that way? If it goes that way, why does it go that way? Mm Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? And if you understand that, then how you explain it to someone would make the most sense. If I speak it in a language that makes sense for me, but isn't for you, but I'm trying to teach you something, it's pointless. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Totally agree. Like you're trying, your, my objective is to get the point across to you. Mm. And the best way to do that is to speak a language that you understand. Right. That is it. I'm not trying to show that I'm smarter than you or I know more. I know more and you know that I know more. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in this conversation in the first place. Correct. But my aim is to make you understand. And that can't happen if I speak it the way I know it to be. Mm -hmm. I have to speak it in the way that you know it to be. Yeah. What what do you notice with regard to your students when they have a a breakthrough in their learning? What what is the first thing you kind of see? Um they almost have a eureka moment where it's like, Oh, that makes sense. The only problem with me though, is once you have that, I hit you. <laughs> Cause I say, don't take pictures. You've understood it. 
The problem is, is that once you've understood it and you have a eureka moment, you almost pause. Mm. If I'm trying, if I'm teaching you a drill or we're sparring, pausing means you've stopped. And if you stopped, you are dead in the water. Mm. Don't get me wrong. When the round is over or whilst we're still going, I'll say good. And then we keep going. You don't stop. You don't have time to admire your brilliance. Let me do that in motion. Got it. Got it. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Because if we're sparring and you go, yeah, I landed the punch. All I've seen is that your guard is now here. Your you're guard open. is now here and you're open. Once it's over, once the bell's gone, whether I've sounded <laughs> the end of the round, I'll be like, I'll acknowledge it. Right. Because that's all that's needed. Yeah. That is all that is needed. It's a great point. Yeah. Oftentimes we get too caught up in in the little small victories and not that we shouldn't, you know, acknowledge or pat ourselves on the back, but there's a place and a time, but you have to keep, you can't do that while you're still in the battle. If you're, if you are trying to sell 10 cookies and you sell 10, great. Celebrate that whilst you're still going because Mm -hmm. everything still costs. Yeah. You're still, you haven't left the point where it's not costly to stand still. Mm. So now you need to sell more cookies. You now need to re-up for the fact that the the amount of time and energy spent to make, build, have a stand, promoting it. You now move on to the next. Right. Just don't do what I did where you do so much. You don't even acknowledge your own accomplishments. Yeah, and I, I had that bad. Jeremy. I had that real bad. So I'm with you in that. Yeah, I had, to, I had to start writing stuff down. And then, I don't know, in December, I'll be like, I kind of did some yeah, stuff. Yeah. Like, I did a lot this year. Yeah. But if you don't acknowledge it, you'll... You won't see it. And hence, you'll start feeling like, man, I haven't done nothing. What's, right. what's going on with my life? Right. I, yeah. And that, I feel like that's the same thing for a lot of people. If you're not a reader and you read one book, take that moment. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you weren't able to parallel park and you do it, yeah, it might not be a big deal to me or you, but to that person, that was something they've been struggling with. Correct. Do you know what I mean they only have a license because that never came up in the past? Yeah. Like, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> right. And they were able to do that. Right. 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 Makes all the sense in the world. What What role does internal health play in mastering any type of self defense art form? All of it. All of it. I will give the analogy of a car. If you have a diesel and you put unleaded, you can't expect the car to run at full capacity. It won't, it might not even start the way you want it to. Mm-hmm. Somewhere down the road, the fact that you put diesel in an unleaded will cause problems. If you're doing a cardio heavy sport, like a boxing or a fighting or whatever, or even basketball sports, what? And you smoke heavy, whether it's weed or or cigarettes, mm-hmm. it's gonna show up. It might not show up in the initial phases, yeah, but it will be fourth quarter, last five minutes, when your team really needs you to be who you're supposed to be. Right, that's when it will kick in. Mm. Or when you're boxing, twelfth round, scorecards even, it can go either way. And if you don't have that one extra punch that makes all the, that's when it will show up. Got it. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. 
because that moment that you smoked up was the moment that that person was still training. The other person was still training. Mm. The other person was still studying. The other person was looking at where your weaknesses are. And in you smoking or you doing whatever, or you having shitty food or I'll give an example. I, I've, I've never been this way, but it only really happened when I moved to the States. Every now and again, I'll have an Apple Danish from 7-Eleven. Okay. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, no word, no, no judgment. I know. Judge me. It's, it's necessary. <laughs> and because I know how to monitor my energy and my breathing, I will notice that there might be a time where I can't go past a certain energy level mm. because what I use to fuel my body doesn't give me that. Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? Yep. And I feel like that's how it is for a lot of people. You're trying to build a business. You're trying to build an empire. You're trying to run a staff. You're trying to do whatever. But the food and drink that you are taking into your body is not designed for you to do that. It's mm-hmm. designed for you to have crashes. It's designed for you to, you know, almost want food that doesn't benefit you. It's designed Correct. to make you feel lethargic or have mood swings or and how with those mood swings can i look at you to be a leader correct because if you've had a bad day and then you come into work i'm gonna get it just on a simple basis that you've had a bad day Mm -hmm. and those mood swings don't help there are foods that have literally resulted in you you know being like mood destabilizers or making you more agitated or how am I going to look at you to lead and keep a stable route if the food that you eat doesn't allow you to do that, even if you want it to be that way? Hey, it's a great point. Great, great, great point. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Like, and it's so weird. So that for me, that ties into, well, let me ask you, what, what do you think is the correlation between discipline and leadership? They run almost simultaneously beside each other. Mm-hmm. You can't have one without the other. Does that make sense? So, in order to be an effective leader, one must have you to have be have to be disciplined. You have to be disciplined. You have to be disciplined because there are going to be times when they won't be. They meaning the people that you are attempting people to that lead. You either, that you're leading with, you're part of a team, but you have been selected to be the leader, and the odds is you will be selected to be the leader. Because of that, mm. because there are loads of leaders that aren't the smartest man in the room, True. but they're good at delegating. And part of that discipline is knowing that. All right, I'm not the smartest person here. Yeah, I'm not the fastest person. here. I'm not the strongest person. here. I'm not the best person here, but. I know how to delegate. I know that his strength is better utilized over there. I know that person is better at speaking than I am. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to employ him to talk to these people. I know that that's the tech person. So now if I send the tech person and the social person over there, the social person can be the caveat between the tech person and the person that these things done. Okay. You'll notice that the tech person isn't really the person that does the call center stuff. True. You see what I'm saying? Right. His, his aim is to extract what the problem is. Mm-hmm. And then he's able to tell the tech guy what the problem is. The tech guy fixes the problem. 
tells the call center guy, the call center guy now gives it back in a language that the consumer can understand. Yeah. Because nobody else here understands JavaScript. Correct. But the call, again, talking about the frequency. Mm-hmm. He hears it one way, he translates it, he gives it to him. He understands it, he translates it, gives it back to him. Right. That's all. You, to be a great leader is to be disciplined and to essentially be a middleman. The middle. Okay. The middle man. Haven't heard that one before. The middleman. Yeah. Uh, You're a role so player. So the, the, the conduit mm-hmm. between a, a communication process, if you will. So if we look at, I want to extrapolate like mm, one leader okay. that we all know. Okay. And let's see how they fit into this mold of being the conduit. Sure. So let's look at, uh, let's say Malcolm X. Right. We all know that he's mm-hmm. popular. How how was Malcolm the middleman? Let's put it this way. He was the go between between the people and white America. He was the go between between the people and Elijah Muhammad. Do you see what I'm saying? Like he okay. was because Elijah Muhammad I don't know whether to say the honorable, but I'll, I, you know, I have respect. I'll say the honorable Elijah Muhammad had his point across to get to Malcolm. Okay. And then Malcolm would then give it, he would stand on the soapbox, he would stand or wherever and then talk it to those people. Mm-hmm. Elijah Muhammad would have a point and give it to Malcolm. Malcolm would then go on TV and speak to the populace. Mm-hmm. He was literally the middleman. Okay. And I feel like that. So now, if the goal is to make sure you're proficient at martial arts, mm-hmm. my aim is to get you there. I'm going to the source of the information, getting it in, taking it, ingesting it, and then giving it to you. Got your it. concerns and your problems, you voice it to me. I then go back to the source, explain what the problem is. The source will then give me an answer, and then I can give it back to you. So to me, that sounds like a, a, a broker. I call it a baby bird theory. Baby bird? Yeah, because a baby bird can't consume it in its natural mm. state. The mother will then chew it up and then give it to you in digestible bits. And as you get older, those digestible bits become bigger and bigger because you have the mouth, you have the body, you have the teeth for it. But until that point, I will always break it down to a format which you can understand it. Because mm. the more you get into your fighting stuff, and I said this to a couple of students, it will become less of a teacher-student dynamic. Okay. It will become me discussing concepts with you. Does that make sense? Yep. So how do you get the jab into his face standing from where you're standing? Mm-hmm. So now I've created a problem. Because now I know you have the tools to figure out the problem. But I have to create the problem that will allow you to use your tools. Right. You got to you. You have to cause people to think in different directions. Because I've done that to you a couple of times where yeah. you're just like, hey, what's the answer to that? What do you think the answer is? Right. Because you won't learn if I just give it to you. Mm-hmm. You'll remember it. But that's not learning. That's not thinking. You're just regurgitating and saying it back to me. That's the problem that we were talking about with schools. Right. Where there is no concept of critical thought. Because now if I tell you jab, cross, low kick works and then you try jab, kick, low kick and it doesn't work, 
the critical thinker will now be if I do the jab and cross, do I need to space them out between each punch? Do I need to make them faster? Do I need to make them slower? Do I need to make the jab harder so that yeah. the right can land? The low kick, do I fake it first? Do I step around him? Do I step back? Do I step into him? Do I push him back then? You see what I'm saying? I, I know. Hey, those are all the questions that go through my mind when you tell right. me. <laughs> Whereas the one that just regurgitates will do jab, cross, low kick, and it didn't work, and it'll be like, well, the combination doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's the difference between someone that starts it and that starts to master and understand it. Because the combination isn't wrong. Your application might be. Right. And that's life. That is life. That is, that is literally the difference between winners and losers. Right? Uh, well, besides work ethic, because we got to put that of in there. Of course. But I think it's that work ethic that gets you or that will get us to the, the proper application. Would you agree? Yeah. Uh, like, so I used to always say this phrase about practice makes perfect, but it's not about that because you could be practicing the wrong thing. Correct. And be perfect yeah, at the wrong perfect thing. Perfect at the wrong thing. So I say perfect practice makes perfect. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Yeah. I that's, agree with that heavily. So in your opinion... What makes a leader great and iconic? Understanding that there are things bigger than himself. Just because you might be the most knowledgeable, you might be the most aware or whatever, whatever term you want to use or endearment you want to use. The key to it all is understanding that you are nothing but a drop of water in the ocean. Mm. The cause is the ocean. Right. You are just a droplet in it. If that. If that. And once you understand that you're not the biggest cog, but rather you are a series of cogs in a giant watch, the way you conduct yourself will be different. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Like if you, I don't know, I, think I was talking to you about watching The Last Dance. The, yeah. The biggest people or those that did the biggest or most amount of damage Mm -hmm. in regards to the other team were those that referred to themselves as role players or just playing their part or just doing what they were supposed to do. Right. The Rodmans, the Pippin, like it's that. Don't, Don't get me wrong. You need a mic. Right. I'm not saying that you don't. But there are other people that played their role and played their part. Because True. when when Rodman wasn't around, there was an issue. When Pippen wasn't around, they weren't winning. You felt it. Or they felt it, rather. You see what I'm saying? Because yeah. now he had to pick up the slack because that person wasn't around. Right. And what tends to happen is because your name isn't in lights, you assume that your role doesn't matter. And the only time you notice it does is when I'm not there. Mm-hmm. And that's all it should ever be. You're just a series of cogs twisting and turning to make one thing happen. Mm. No cog is bigger than the other. If they are biggest because their size works for the role that they're in. Right. That doesn't make them more important. Everyone is equally as important. The problem with leadership is we put one person on the pedestal. Yep. You've almost made them the face of the cause, the mouthpiece of the cause. And then when that person is no longer around, the cause no longer exists. Yeah. It falters. And we've seen that a lot in 
<laughs> throughout our whole history, that's what's been the problem. The minute the 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 ominous leader disappears, mm-hmm. dies, old age, um, shamed, whatever you want to refer to it as, then the movement dies. Right. You should. It should never be that way. It should always be a question of a constant cycle. Right. Constant movement. It doesn't have to be fast, but it has to be moving. And that's what I was trying to explain to you before. Mm. Because it is a lot harder to get something to move if there is no traction, if it's not already moving. Mm -hmm. Once it starts moving, your aim is to keep it moving. Mm. It doesn't have to be fast. It just has to be going. Leadership is in the exact same rotation. I love it. Excellent description. What leader do you look up to and admire? Uh, I have a couple, um, but I put them there for specific purposes. Um, I even had an image made of it where it was like, imagine it like a news table or like, you know, CNN at the bottom type stuff. And it was Dick Gregory on the left, Mm -hmm. Dr. Sebi in the middle. And Farrakhan on the right. Mm. And the concept was just mind, body, and soul. That that's all it was. So as as much as we know Dick Gregory to be a comedian, we also know he was an avid reader and studier right. of all things. You know, and the more you look into him, the more you notice that. Yeah. Sebi, who was, you know, he got his claim to fame more recently, but had been doing work since the eighties and seventies in yep. regards to saying that nutrition does all. Right, And that is not a new concept. Mm-hmm. It's just, it might have been new to us. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. There are loads of books, whether it be paganistic or occult stuff that talk about using herbs and spices for healing purposes. Right. But, you know, he brought it to us. So that's one. And then Farrakhan more so having a spiritual connection to something bigger than yourself. I'm not necessarily advocating for Islam or the nation of Islam, Mm -hmm. but it's the, each of these men stood for something on their platform. Yeah. And that's why I look at them for, I don't look at Sebi for, let's say for spiritual guidance, Mm -hmm. because that's not his strong suit. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I wouldn't look, although Gregory's had some good points on nutrition, I'm not looking at Gregory for food stuff. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I admire them for their points in their fields and I take what I can from each one of them. Okay. Makes sense. So those three, those are my, those, that's my trinity. I like that. That, that, that. That's very different from what I've heard in the past. So it's great. Yeah. Appreciate that. Mind, body, and soul. Man. Uh, that's right. Spirit. Final question. This is called the tabula rasa. Oh, which I've heard that phrase. Keep going because I feel like I'm. It might jerk memory. Yeah, and it's you probably heard it. It's, mm-hmm. It stands for blank slate. Okay. All right. Now, you're an artist, and you have a blank canvas in front of you, mm-hmm. uh, and you have all the colors you can possibly want to need. And on this canvas, you're going to draw, paint design or architect, if you will, your life as you see it. Now, you've completed 
everything your heart desired. Mm -hmm. You've you've trained the globe, you know, in martial arts. They have been a huge success. You've had you've had your family, kids. They have done amazing things in the world. You've made tons of money. You've traveled the world. You've written all your books. Mm -hmm. You've um, you know spark spoke to large groups of people. Let's call it seminars, whatever. Mm -hmm. You've you've completed all of it. Coming back to this blank canvas, what picture do you draw of your life and what colors do you use? Good question. And I kind of thought the answer as you were talking to I'd leave it blank. That's interesting. I'd leave it blank. Why? Because that, that's how you came in. You go in the way you leave. You are a blank canvas. As time progressed, you've had thoughts and theories etched onto that canvas. You, you understood or at least came to terms with the concept of what it meant to be black, what it meant to be a Christian or a Muslim, what it meant for you to be spiritual, what it meant. Each, each one of these guidelines or these archetypes or these structures gave you a way to behave. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? Yep. Like you became black. So then you started looking at, you know, Democrats. So, you know, you, you were in martial arts. So you, you said your coach told you this was the way you're supposed to carry yourself. Yeah. So if anything, as time progressed and you, you know, you said, this is how I'm supposed to be. This is how I'm supposed to carry myself. I'm spiritual. So therefore I meditate. I'm black. So therefore I do this. I'm this. So therefore I do that. I would use the color, depending on what color the, um, the canvas is. I'm assuming it's white. Yeah. So it would be black paint over it. Over the white canvas. Over the white canvas. Just because anything and everything can come out from that. Because the black is the accumulation of all colors. Oh. Everything you've been through, the, I don't know, the indigo that came from your spirituality, the mm. red that came from your aggression, the, the green that came from having a plant-based diet, like all of that, Yeah. once it's all meshed, just goes back to black. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's, that's, the, that's the best way to look at it. You go back to black. You're a clean slate. You, If you believe in reincarnation and you start all over again, you're starting all, all over again. Yeah. Because there is a Joseph that grew up out here rather than grew up over there. Correct. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. He took Taekwondo instead of, or he joined the military instead of using discipline for martial arts. Mm -hmm. Whether he was an avid reader or not, that might be left. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And all it is now is his opportunity now to paint the canvas. Right. And then eventually on his way out, fade the black and it happens again. It's beautiful. Joseph, my man, I want to salute you, honor you. I appreciate and, um, I appreciate the invite. Man. Uh, thank you for coming. You, you know, all the work that you're doing, the training, you're helping people, you know, uplift and build their confidence 
you're giving them and showing them, teaching them um, a heightened level or another level of discipline, another way to be and live. It's it's the way they've always wanted it to be. I'm just a middleman. This is true. You're the broker. Just a middleman. <laughs> so I thank you for it all. Now I want to open up the platform for you. If uh, people want to hire you for uh, training sessions, how can they get in touch with your social um, website? Yeah. If you got it, put it all out there. Okay. So I'm not much of a social person, not much of a social media person. I tend to just post random stuff. <laughs> But um, if you did want to get in touch and you know Mo personally, go through Mo, get my number. I have no problem with that. Um, Instagram, it's just itranium underscore red. And yeah, that's, that's it. I don't, I try not to subscribe to social media too much because a lot of things get skewed if yeah. left under the guise of social media. They do. You know, I've, I've never really been one to promote business, I mm-hmm. know, which, which goes against the ethos of a businessman. But I've always enjoyed the building of, you know, clients or students, whatever, more organically. Mm. People will find me. I, it also kind of goes to the whole, the quote of once the student is ready, the teacher will appear. It's that. Okay. You'll find me when you're supposed to find me. Not a minute sooner, not a minute after. It's kind of like that. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but it's an older movie. I think Kevin Costner, uh, Field the Dreams. I've never seen it. If you build it, they will come. Yeah, it's it's that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you find, like, because if I use my teacher as an example, he didn't really promote anything anywhere. Mm. And in the area where he was teaching it is normally where all the bankers and financiers were. So hood kids weren't necessarily over there. But I managed to find it and I just showed up. Hmm. And 11, 12 years later. Wow. Yeah, I know. Sounds like one of those. <laughs> those <laughs> this is good, it though. Sounds like one of those. Um, A movie. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Any. Uh, any questions or things you want to ask me? Um, yeah, I have, I have a couple. I have a couple. How do you feel in terms of just how the diaspora is, like the current state of the black community, and how do you see it either eventually folding or getting better? I, th- I think... I'm going to answer it backwards. So I think it's going to fold if we don't wake up. And when I'm, when I say wake up, I mean, if we don't wake up to ourselves, if we don't wake up to our gifts and our power and our abilities, wake up to our leadership and stop relying on someone or something outside of us, we will perish indefinitely now how do we grow and build we do the opposite of that we acknowledge what it is that we have in front of us we acknowledge our strengths and we hold on to them and we uplift them and then we acknowledge the 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 strengths and the 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 beauty and others that look like us and we uplift them as well 
And it's this this reciprocity that just continues. And right. if we do that, keeping it moving, correct. We don't need anything or anyone else. Yeah, we will. We will thrive. And it's not, you know, some may hear this and be like, oh, well, no, it needs we all should be integrated. I'm not saying that we can't. But for me, it's we are too. We have this code. No, not even code. It's a dependency Mm. on something else, be it government. Someone else, be it oppressor, mm. uh, some other entity, let's call it policing. We are depending on them to change their behavior. Gotcha. Versus saying that, you know what? Their behavior is their behavior. Right. Let us change how we interact with these institutions, with these people, with right. these agencies. Right. And it, it it boils down and I always people that really know me, they know my favorite words are responsibility and accountability. And until we become responsible and accountable, we're going to be in the same position. Do you think that you'll see that surge in accountability and responsibility in your lifetime? I hope so. I, I, I kind of I project that when the baby boomers are gone, I think that that's when things will begin to shift and it will be a drastic shift okay. because currently the baby boomers are still kind of pulling the strings mm-hmm. on not just the system, but on every behavior and belief and, 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 and uh, motives, if you will. But once they die off, then the new generation, which would be uh, either my generation, which is X, or the millennial Mm -hmm. generation will usher in a new mode, a new belief system, a new way of uh, behaving and and doing things. So do you think the new would be better? I think it will be different. Okay. Uh, I think better goes back to what I outlined before. In terms of better is what you spoke about, the discipline. Mm-hmm. Better is the accountability and responsibility. Okay. So if we all, and, and this is all racist, if we were all responsible and accountable, that's better. It's, it's, to me, it seems like if I look at all of the cultures or all of the ethnicities, for the most part, mm-hmm. A lot of the other cultures and ethnicities have a certain level of responsibility and accountability. Right. Because I can go to their communities today and see the responsibility and accountability. Mm-hmm. When I go to black communities, I don't see responsibility and accountability. Okay. So I I I, I see a lack of um, awareness and, and I see now that's not to say that we are all not doing anything. No, right. because we are doing amazing things, you know, especially right now. It's just more. Uh, we, we just need, I, I think now at this point, like we literally have a lot right now, even though it doesn't seem like it, but there is a lot going on within us 
the challenge is we have to support it. Mm, okay. Because until we support it, we're not going to know about it. And until we talk about it more, we're not going to know about it. We're not going to hear about it. But once we hear about it, it's like, oh, wow, that's a bit like there is a black stock exchange. It's called Dream Exchange. So what does that mean? How do we support that? Oh, you have a, a business or a company that wants to go public. Cool. Screw New York. Right. Let's go to the Dream seen. Exchange. Right. We have black shoemakers. So what does that mean? Screw Nike and Adidas. Right. Go for we, that means we're not getting J's. I'm sorry. Right. But <laughs> I'm sorry. No yeah. J's. Yeah. That's if we're going to do this and that's responsibility and accountability. And, right. And it all boils down to discipline. Correct. Because you have to go with what you need, not necessarily what you want. Correct. You know, uh, we, we all need loans. Okay. So what does that mean? We're going to the black banks to get the loans. Right. Not to chase. Not to uh, Bank of America, mm. even though there are way more branches. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we'll be a little inconvenienced and, and that inconvenience is temporarily. I was going to say, and I think I made this post a little while back. They've managed to weaponize convenience. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Like I had this conversation with a friend of mine and we were talking because, you know, like now as, you know, social, you know, and civil issues are becoming a thing again. Um, little pockets of people have made groups for yeah. themselves and, you know, discussing black topics and everything else. And one of them mentioned that there should be like a reading list, which is a good concept. I like that idea mm -hmm. because it doesn't matter how you look at it, whether you're referring to the nation, whether you're referring to skinheads or whatever, they all have documents that they look to, to sculpt either behavior or scoped how they carry themselves, or guidelines in general. So one sister brought that up in the group and another one responded with, oh, I don't really read. Is there something else we can look? I'll look into Audible. I'm not giving a shout out, I'm just saying. But you have to understand, again, because that's convenient. You can do it whilst doing other things. But the, the reality of it is the books that you might necessarily need to benefit yourself or mm -hmm. benefit from period isn't going to be an audible. Right. So then what tends to happen is now there is going to be a lack or a page missing in your lexicon of information mm -hmm. because someone didn't want to read you a bedtime story because nobody wants to, if you were going to, I don't know, for example, look into the ISIS papers, ISIS papers is not an audible. No. Nah, you need to hold that thing in your hand. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, you have to understand every civilization where they're trying to get rid of things have always had a book burning. Yep. Or a level of censorship. Or the deletion of certain files so that that gives just cause for certain actions. You going to an audible or you going to any one of those deletes that. That creates that. Right. They won't necessarily, it will either be They'll either bury it so you don't know it exists or they'll get rid of it, period. Now, they don't even need to delete the stuff because our generation, if it's not on Audible, it doesn't exist. Right. Like, if it's not, if the music isn't on Spotify, on Spotify it doesn't exist. Yep. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. That's, the, that's that responsibility and accountability. Yeah. And like, like the young lady that you just spoke of, 
she didn't want to be responsible. And she'll argue and say otherwise, but uh, right. that only proves the point about accountability. Yeah. yeah. Like, own that. Okay, yeah, I'm lazy. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you're lazy, cool. We know you're lazy. Right. So maybe, maybe you can do something else. Maybe you can contribute in another way. But I feel like if you were going to start a group like that, your laziness shouldn't now be the reason that the group isn't all it can be. Correct. And that's why I said, because we all have strengths, right? So, okay, you're not a reader and maybe you're lazy when it comes to reading. Right. Cool. But maybe you're a great note taker Mm. and an administrative person. So I tell you what, when we meet, when we meet, I want you to compile the list of to, of the uh, the reading list and disseminate it to the group. Mm-hmm. And I want you to co- co- coordinate and, and do the correspondence on, with the emails to make sure that everybody and keep keep the time. And th- that becomes, as you mentioned earlier, that cog in the mm-hmm. watch. Right. Because Everybody wants to be everyone wants to be the head nigger in charge. Excuse my French. Exactly. And nobody wants to just play their role. Correct. Do you see what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Because the people that are on the bench, they might have put in one basket that made the difference between you winning hey, or going into overtime it, or losing. If they, if they won by one point, it was that one basket. <laughs> so, yeah. So those are my, that that's to answer your question. That's what I think. Last question. All right. Political correctness. Mm-hmm. Where do you draw the line? So I don't necessarily, and this is just my personal political correctness, politically correct, all of that. I don't get in. I don't, it doesn't even resonate with me Okay. because for me, it's what is political, right? Like I, like you said earlier, I'm real technical and in mm-hmm. detail. So the first thing that pops into my mind is, oh, political, something outside of me. What is that? I right. need to ID that. Tell me what that is. And then after you tell me what that is, I need to know, well, who's in charge of that? All right, there we go. Oh, so it was another man or a human being that's in charge of this political right. thing or this label that we're calling. Oh, okay. So who, and then I start spinning out. Oh, well, okay. Well, who gave them the authority to say that this is right or this is wrong? Right. Because if you apply that thought process elsewhere, you'll find that there are a lot of things yeah. in play designed to keep you either where you are or diminish you further. Look, I grew up where we bagged on people. Like we talk, nothing was off limits. We talked about your mama. We talked about <laughs> your brothers, your sisters. We, we, you know, we used to call, we say, and this is no, and see now I have to, because of people's sensitivity. And I think the political correctness has created a heightened level of sensitivity. Mm -hmm. But going back to the story, we used to say faggot and, you know, and, and and no one was sensitive. Yeah, but that's a different generation. Because it was, it just, and you can look at comedians. You look at Eddie Murphy's uh, uh, yeah. Delirious and Raw. Yeah. You look at Richard Pryor. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's yeah. a red fox. Even closer to the time you could look at the Bernie Mac one. Uh, so the, there was no quote unquote political correctness then, and people weren't as sensitive then. Or Patrice O'Neill, anyone. The, uh, we know, had George tough, Carlin or tough skin, right? right? But then all of a sudden, somewhere in the late '90s, early 2000s, it you, you we begin to hear this term, oh, politically correct, right? And it's like, wait a minute, where'd that come from? Yeah, that didn't exist but, in the '80s. But so Carlin did a bit where he mentioned that as time progressed, they've made words softer. First, it was um, I think it was combat something. I can't remember the, the phrasing, but then it went from that. To PTSD and went from that right. to, do you see what I'm saying? It went from toilet paper to bathroom paper. Like it, the aim of it was was to soften stuff up so that way, even though the same things happened, it created a level of sensitivity. So yep. people never got the truth in its rawest form. So then it made them sensitive. And as time progressed, people got more sensitive, yep. and more sensitive, and more sensitive. To the point now where those that used to say what they used to, like a Bill Burr, for example, mm-hmm. he now has to do stand-ups in the UK because the stuff he said, if he said it in the US, he would have been cancelled for. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that's how far it's come. Now he's looked at like the dinosaur, like the Patrice O'Neills was right. saying what he said. Any one of those guys would have been part of cancel culture. Yeah. Like it's it's weird. Like the world is basically being turned into a sandwich with the crust cut off. And it's I think, and many may not agree with me on this, but I think it that ideology does more harm to people than good. Of course, yeah. Because now you've just stripped away the most needed element in society which is communication mm-hmm. and just being able to talk your shit for like and, and and if i cannot express myself for fear of, of or ridicule ridicule being overly sensitive it's like well how do we progress how do we advance you don't you 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 go for a false sense of security or a false sense of what progression is. Yeah. And so, yeah, man, I don't, so political correctness, I, I don't, I understand it from an educational perspective. perspective and, and, and I know that this is the world that we live in. So if I were being interviewed on TV, would I be politically correct? Probably, maybe. If if I'm on my own thing, as I am right now, would I be politically correct? Probably not. I maybe I don't know. You know, because now I would have to examine who are my listeners, and you, you might have to give a, a disclaimer. Correct. I would have. So, would it, I think what we need to focus on on the heels of what you just said said a minute ago about disclaimer. I think intent. Mm. It's key, mm-hmm. right? So I think if people understand what the intent is behind what is being said, instead of looking at what is being said right. or, or the words, it's the intent. Do it, it, Are my words trying to inflict harm, 
damage or pain? Like, is that my MO? The, the concept of it's not what you said, it's how you, like, you've been hearing that for years yeah. when dealing with the opposite. So if, I, if my intention is not, no, listen, I'm not trying to tear you down. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not trying to kill you with my, my tongue. Mm. However, I am trying to get you to understand something. Right. And this understanding of something is not the way you're taking it. But it's more so of this is how I know how to communicate it best. Right. And if these, if based on my language, this is the best way I can articulate my thoughts and feelings. Right. This is what it is. This is all I got. Then does that mean that you might always need a medium or an interpreter? When it comes to your points of view, I just think that that's so real quick. Let's go back into, I always reference history. Always. Right. Always. So when I go back in history and I look at when Europeans came to the new land called America and there, there were the indigenous people here, aboriginals. There was a communication barrier. Even when the aboriginals trade did trades and, and exchanges with other peoples in other in other lands and territories, mm. there was a communication barrier. But what I've learned is the one thing that they all understood and how they communicated was through sign language. Okay. Right? And sometimes they would do a sign like when we've seen this on movies and TVs where they were like at, you know, kind of right. like slice the neck. Right. Right. So now if we did that same sign, that would be interpreted as I'm going to kill you. Right. Or, I'm going to cut your neck off. But back then that sign meant no, no deal. Right. And it was, and it was just uniform. They knew that they understood that it was universal. Like, nah, that ain't happening. I don't like that. But I feel like it's it's an adjustment of the two because that might mean cut your neck off, but doing this might mean no. Those little nuances might be Cor- the Correct. Like, but yeah. what the point that I'm making is there was no offense in right. either way. Agreed. It was just an understanding. Like, nah, I'm I'm gonna get at you and, and, and really cut your head off, or no, we don't have a deal. Right. Either way, it was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm gearing up for warden or all right, let me, let me make you another offer. It wasn't like, Oh, you just insulted me because you said you was going to kill me. And and now I I need to not support you or go tell somebody. So going back to our initial conversation, it's because they have nothing to compare it to. They don't. It's like, for example, you're seeing now that, you know, due to having people wear masks and, you know, curfews and everything else. I'm going to say white people for this one. There has never really been restrictions on their behaviors or, you know. No, not at all. So to them having a curfew, being told you have to wear a mask, be, all these little things that for lack of better words, for, for people of color, wasn't really a big deal. Because there was a time where you couldn't even share the same water fountain 
Mm-hmm. You had to be in at a certain time or you couldn't vote or you were looked at as three fifths of a human being. Mm-hmm. So going from that to this, it's like, I mean, eh, we get over it. Right. Whereas to them, that has been the biggest atrocity to them because they're not used to having rules or restrictions. This right. is why you'll see white women mouthing off the cops because black people are just like, nah, they, they do something different to us if we act like this. So they're not used to restriction or they're not used to being told what to do. They don't have nothing comparable. Right. So when I talk about martial arts and there being an issue or a problem, because you were just, before you came into this room, you were in a situation where the person standing in front of you was skilled enough to knee you in the face and not feel some type of way. Mm -hmm. So once you've had that to compare it to, this person having their little hissy fit or their little moments doesn't mean anything to you because you've had real life consequence. Correct. Once you have something to compare it to, then the way you deem the world and how you look at things are completely different. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. The problem is that when it comes to black America, there has never been a moment where you've had ah, nothing, no issues, no problems. No, no black people being killed. No police officers doing this. No, well, well, we no we we've had that. We we've had how that in history. It, how long did it last? A uh, long time, but it hasn't been recent history. That's what I'm saying. However, because it did exist, we do have a replica or a blueprint of that, right? And so we can get back to that. The problem is we're so caught up and concerned with what the other side is doing and what they're not doing. But the difference is that the, the quote-unquote other side is still doing their own thing as well. I, yeah, they don't care they, about what they, we're doing, they but wa- we... They're watching what we're doing, but still doing their own thing. Of course. Whereas we're watching what they're doing, but we're not doing anything. Yeah. We're, we're saying the same thing, and that's and that is the problem. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, you'll see it in world wars. Now. China's watching Russia. Russia's watching America. America's watching the UK. Mm-hmm. But they're still doing the, like, they're moving. The, the, the arms race. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all building a nuclear plant? All right, cool. We're going to do our thing. Yeah. Oh, y'all putting out propaganda? Okay, cool. We're doing our own thing too. Right. Don't go, oh, that's what you guys are doing. And then just be stagnant because when it's right. time for them to use that thing, you know all the specs, but you don't have anything. No defense. To, You're not prepared. Do you see what I'm saying? So yeah. if you believe, which uh, it's not even a question of belief anymore. If you think that everything you're seeing is white and, you know, Band-Aids don't have a, a hue that's similar to your skin color. I think they only recently did in the last couple of years. But prior to that, it didn't exist. Then you have to create that. If you feel that all the TV stories that you see about black people are negative, then it's up to black people to, to create a positive. If you think that all the dolls you see are only white girls and little, then you need to create. Make it. Responsibility. You need to create your own propaganda. Totally because agree. Because everybody, everybody have the, everybody on the planet has their own. Yeah. Americans always think they're the shit. The Brits always think they're the shit. The Russians always think they're the best. China always thinks they're the best. And it's only when you guys butt heads that we find out what's going on. Right. But until then, you are both the best and you're not the best. It's, it's similar to 
Schrodinger's cat, where it's yeah. like you're both dead and alive until I open the box and find out the truth. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, white people think that they're the best. Again, not all white people are based on supremacy. Right. White people think they're the best, and black people think they're the best, but they don't push. They don't act on it. You think you're the best, but then you work for this guy. Right. You think you're the best, but you'll buy constantly buy white products. Which tells me then you really don't think you're the best. You think you're the best, but you model success based on what the Western or the white ideals of success is. Mm-hmm. So what you're it that they don't match up. You think you're the best, but you are applying to the rules, adhering to the rules set by someone else. Right. Like we have our conversation about Dame Dash. Right. It's, yep. it's the same logic. If you believe that your shit is the best or your, then it is up to you to co- because they're not going to push for your side. No. And why should they? They you know shouldn't. I wouldn't. They're not going to push for your side. If your music is too revolutionary, we're going to get rid of that. We're going to get rid of the Chuck D's and the public enemy right. and stuff and the conscious rap and just keep the stuff that helps us. Right. Nothing other than that. We'll, we'll make sure it still exists. Yeah. But it won't be at a level where that's the first thing you see. Right. Because that's what makes us in our best interest. Mm-hmm. And then that's all it is, was, and ever will be. Right. I agree. Like there was a book on propaganda where it was just that. They would drop flyers into enemy territories saying, oh, you know. Your husbands are sleeping with the enemy's wives. So mm-hmm. now the wives feel distressed. So your name, your aim now isn't to get the soldiers, mm-hmm. it's to get the wives of these soldiers. That means now those wives will stop writing letters to those soldiers. So now yeah. the soldiers will now feel some type of way. Okay. They'll be discouraged and less likely to want to fight or to want to go back home. Right, right, right. So again, what we said, you have the same weapons and tools I have. Application makes the difference. Mm-hmm. If you're not that motivated for the fight in the first place, you're not going to beat me. Right. And that's how you would stop soldiers. Mm-hmm. So you constantly demoralize, you constantly devalue, you constantly, you constantly show them that they're less than. You'll give them one outlet to say that you're kings and you're queens, but then when you ask someone, you guys aren't that. Oh, we descend from kings and queens. No, that doesn't need you. But Egypt's in Africa. No, it's not. And you almost feel like you've been green light. It's a gas, gaslit, gaslit. But it's the same concept. Right. You make them feel some type of way to the point where they don't even know what's real and what isn't. Mm-hmm. See what I mean? Like you'll constantly be shown that you're less than. Right. Africa says, oh, we have the lowest rate of coronavirus. So then the remedy for that is to now send your vaccine over there to test your vaccine out on these people. Why would you need to do that? You test stuff on guinea pigs. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that they are guinea pigs. Mm -hmm. Like it. Right. But the fact that we allow that. Right. But again, right. But it's, it's, it's it's usury. (laughs) It's, it got to the point where now there are certain African countries that were annexed. 
and they're slicing up Africa like a piece of pie yep. and sharing it out amongst the Western But world. again, we allow it. Right. So it all, for me, it always goes back to that responsibility component. Mm-hmm. No one can do anything to you that you do not allow. Right. That's like you're, you're that's like fighting. Yeah, no, you're right. You know, like. But you only punched me in the face because I moved. Or you moved into the punch. You didn't block it. Right. You you didn't react strong. Like either, you didn't read it. Either way, these are all your fault and it's your responsibility. Yep. You know, but once you learn how to defend yourself, let somebody try to punch you now. Right. You're not going to stand there and get smacked upside your head. Right. You're going to break their arm off. You're going to have to do something. There's going to be a retaliation. Correct. I think the best way to explain it all, I posted a picture of a Mexican standoff, which I realized that if I say Mexican, it's like Mexican wave, where I didn't realize that people in the States don't know what that is. But a, a Mexican standard, for those that don't know, is basically I have two guns, he has two guns, and they have two guns. And mm-hmm. we're all pointing at each other. Mm-hmm. And I made the comment that you notice that that's when everyone now listens to what the other person has to say now. Because if you don't, there are instant consequences. Correct. That's what equality it's, looks like. It's fair. It has to be. It has to be. Whether it was dominated by fear or mutual respect, there is still a reason that you have to. There is a common equalizer. Anybody or we all can die right here, right now. I sneeze and you pull the trigger and he sneezes, we're all going to be gone. It's it's over. So now you have to keep honest. You have to keep a level of, of democratic lines open because if you don't, it's over. And that's what we need. Yeah. That's it. I think that's the best way to end on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We are out. Joe, appreciate you, man. Man, I was happy to do it. Till next time, y'all. Till next time. So many pearls of wisdom. Joseph's philosophy on wholeness and spirituality is definitely worth noting. What really moved me was his perspective regarding his tabula rasa. He says we all return to the beginning, the substance of all things. Let's ensure we continue to value our mind, body, and soul for continuous expansion so that we can continue to take charge and lead up. If anyone is interested in Muay Thai lessons, reach out to Joseph on Instagram at I Tranium underscore red. That is I T R A N I U M underscore red. Share this episode with as many people as possible and be sure to follow us on Instagram at Lead Up Lifestyle. For those of you looking to donate to a cause, Lead Up is contributing a portion of its donated proceeds to black businesses that have suffered during the pandemic. To help us, Simply go to the bottom of the lead up podcast description and click the donate link. And as always, keep leading up.